Trigger warning. This episode of Grief Observed Podcast has conversations about suicide, including graphic detail. Welcome back to the Grief Observed Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Morrell. As always, I want to throw out my invitation to you. If you want to be on the podcast like our guest today, please contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll try to get you on the show as soon as possible. My guest today is Jean, and I think this may be a first for the podcast. Uh, she lost her grandson and wants to speak to us today about him and her grief journey. So welcome to the podcast, Jean. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Brad, for having me. Yeah, thank you. Why don't you first tell me a little bit about yourself, and then we'll uh, we'll take a segue into uh, speaking about your grandson. But just tell me a little bit about you first. Okay, well, uh, I'm a country girl, born and, born and raised in the country. Um uh, Lived in the same town most of my life, except for went away from school. Uh, I'm a medical laboratory technician, uh, so I worked in the hospital and medical field. I had the privilege of staying at home most of the time when my children were growing up. I, I at least got to work; had to work part time. I didn't have to to work full time, so that was a blessing. Um, that I got to stay here with my kids. Um, I met my husband. Um, he was stationed at Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. That's a long time ago. Yeah. I've actually been on that <laughs> base many years ago, probably when I was about seven or eight years old. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm just a tad over, older than you are. Uh, we've been married, let's see. Uh, gosh. 51 years, maybe. Um, we, uh, I met him there because I'd always wanted to work at the beach. So I just sent out job applications to every hospital up the coast. And Myrtle Beach hired me. And um, so that's how I met him. I tell everybody I picked him up on the beach. Um, and he was... Um, he, he, his family was from California where it was crowded and he had never been to a place like this. So the first time I brought him home for a family reunion, it, it was funny. He, he asked, how does anybody around here get married? You're all related. <laughs> you know? So I told him we have to bring in new blood every now and then. Cause <laughs> you know, we don't want to all appear inbred. But, um, so, um, but, We've been married, gosh, a long time, and uh, we have two children, Lee, who is, um, he's our oldest, uh, that's Gabe's father, uh, and Anna, and he has another daughter, he has another child, Haley, she's older, she was the oldest, and Anna uh, was our younger one, and she has two children also, a son and a daughter, and um they're all doing pretty well, as well as it can 
expected. The, the, uh, the, the death of Gabe kind of wrecks the whole family. If, if you know what I mean. I, um, yeah, let me. Both... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What I was going to say is, uh, let's let's take a little bit of time to honor Gabe and who he was to you. Tell me what kind of kid mm. Gabe was. He was a nutcase. <laughs> uh, he loved to kid around. Um, he loved making people laugh. Um, I got a video this week from his mother where he was, she was trying to take a picture of him and he was trying to make a grumpy face and he couldn't hold it. He kept cracking up. Um, he was so smart, so smart. Um, but he had a lot of problems. Mm. He uh, had trouble making friends. Um. And it started in elementary school. He just didn't seem to click there. And it didn't... Middle school wasn't any better. And middle school's hard on its own. Um, and um, then he started having some really bad issues. Um, walking away from school not doing his work. He was beginning to fail some of his grades, some of his classes. Uh, you could tell there was something that wasn't right. He went to counselors and psychiatrists and um, psychologists, but none of them did what he needed. Um, they would give him another pill and send him home. Mm. Um, and um, it just never got better. It just never got better. And um, I won't give you the details of his death until you're ready for that. But he was such a good kid. So mm. he was and such a smart kid. He just he just struggled with his own demons. And um. Nobody knew how to help him, and they tried. They took him everywhere. Um, he even asked to be taken somewhere and and admitted, um, but uh, that didn't work out. They only kept him four days, and he said the people that were in there with him, he said they were just mean. He said, and that's, that wasn't what I, I needed. He said, I needed somebody to help me figure out how to sort through my own feelings. And uh, it never happened. It just never happened. Um, all they tried to do was medicate him. And um, he was on so many medications in his short life. I, I can't help but wonder if that didn't contribute to his death later on. Um, we'll never know. Uh, those are things that we'll never have answers to. And the things that that he, you know, the internet is is evil, especially in the hands of children and teens. 
they think it's a friend, but there's people out there that are working to uh, prey on your children. Um, so, you know, my warning is to parents, don't let them on the internet. Just don't do it. I don't care how much they beg. I don't care how much they cry. It's dangerous. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that and uh, maybe open up why you're stating that to parents. Um, I, I know a little bit of the background, but let's let's start talking about that and and how the Internet kind of changed Gabe's life. Um, he loved he was a gamer. He loved to play games. And, you know, on when you're on a game, you're, you're playing with anybody. You have no idea who you're playing with. Uh, and they can appear to be your friend and will appear to be your friend. And they'll send you messages. And, um, you know, at 16, your brain's not fully developed. Nowhere near. No. And in fact, I'll throw out for, you know, the frontal lobe, which controls impulse, it doesn't fully develop in women till age 25. And us men, we, we are... Um, a little behind. We're yeah, we're behind. It's age thirty for us. So yeah, you're you're absolutely correct in stating you know our our mind is not fully developed. And so you throw all this garbage into a sixteen year old brain, and he doesn't know how to process. Uh, everybody's a friend, you know. If they talk friendly to you, they're friends, and um, they believe it. And um, it just what happened to Gabe was he would play uh, those online games and somehow or other, uh, he met some people online that were not who they said they were. Um, he was 16 and of course going through puberty, so his brain was crazy anyway. And he was looking. Uh, he was looking at date, dating sites for teens, and uh, saw a picture of a cute little girl, and started corresponding. Well, we don't know all the details to this because we couldn't we couldn't get to it. Uh, but come to find out that it was a sexploitation ring. Uh, what those people were doing was using pictures of young girls uh, in various state of, states of undress um, to lure Gabe in to send pictures of himself in various states of undress. Um, and he thought he was talking to a real girl. Uh, and the whole thing, you know, he knew better. He knew better. And you can say from now on that your kid knows better. And they do. But they don't think. They just don't think. And uh, so this very persuasive person on the other end talked him into sending pictures of himself that was 
suggested and closed. And um, then started threatening them. Um, he had his own little business. He was very, very smart, very entrepreneurial. He uh, started his own gumball machine business and then expanded it there from to, to claw machines. And um, he, um, for a 16 year old, he was making pretty darn good money. Uh, he had bought several machines. He found places to put them all by himself, no help from anybody. And um, he's got a, he's got a YouTube channel, by the way. It's called uh, Claw Time Bending. And I would advise people if you want to know who Gabe is, look up Claw Time Bending. Uh, that's his channel, and you'll see him as he really was. Uh, working into machines and taking people around Winston Winston Salem to show them how to set up, and he was actually trying to help other people set up their business. Um, but apparently, this kind of incident happened to him twice, and uh, the first time he told his parents. And they turned his phone into the police. The police wiped his phone um, phone clean, gave it back to him. And, um, you know, they talked to him, you know, don't ever do this again. Well, he did. And uh, he was ashamed, and he started getting threatened. We didn't find out that until we found his phone in the car after he died. Um, but these were people from Nigeria. It was like a, a exploitation ring. And what they were trying to do was get pictures of these young people to put them on a child porn site. Mm. That's, yeah, you know, I've, I've researched exploitation and that's their object is, um, to threaten these kids to get photos to put out there to make money. Uh, they have no intention of coming after them because the place, the people that were threatening gay were in Nigeria. Um, and we found that out for sure when we found out about another child who committed suicide as well in Michigan that uh, were picked up by what we believe by the same ring. Um, he was threatened. He actually sent them some money, but they continued to threaten him, so he shot himself. Oh, my. Um, I, uh, when I heard that, I called the FBI here in North Carolina and told them about the incident, and I said, they've got to be related because uh, Gabe's text came from Nigeria as well. We'll never have an answer. Uh, but I'll, I believe with everything in me, it's related. Uh, Do you think if these people knew the destruction of lives that they have caused, do you think there would be any remorse whatsoever on their part? I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think they care. I think it's all about money. 
they don't, they've never seen a face. They've never seen a family. They've never seen, uh, they've never seen the destruction that they've caused in families. They've, they've never seen the pain that um, not just parents and grandparents, but cousins. Uh, my other two grandchildren feel the struggle. And that's hard for me to watch. Oh, because every time somebody dies, uh, especially my little granddaughter, she just falls apart. She said, I can't stand losing anybody else. I've lost Gabe. I don't want to lose anybody else. Uh, she's 11. And uh, my grandson, who turned, he was 14 when Gabe, when Gabe died. He's always been one of those kids that just wouldn't let himself cry. I'm sorry if I break up on you, okay? You're fine. But uh, I've never, ever heard that child sob the way he sobbed. Mm. When, we, when we saw him. I mean, he just doesn't sob. He cries. If he cries, he cries silently. He goes away by himself. But he cried loud and hard. And I wasn't doing so well myself. But that was hard to listen to, and it still is. Mm. Because they were very, very close. And they were looking forward to being teenagers and having their driver's license together and you know, spending the summers together and going to do things. You know, and it's so much lost. So much lost. Gene, I know, you know, uh, if if we look at life and just progression, you know, it's it's highly common for, you know, a, a person to lose a parent or a grandparent. But in your right. loss, it is much, much in reverse here. Not not only, you know, yeah. it's it's not even a child. We're talking a grandchild. And that just, it seems just impossible to even wrap a mind around that what was your thought uh, compared to other losses and i'll just assume that you have had other losses in your life oh yeah what was this like in comparison i don't know how to even describe the feeling well let me go back to the night we got the phone call uh, our granddaughter called and said dad won't you hear now it has something to do with Gabe. So we said, okay, and uh, grabbed a toothbrush and pajamas and got in the car and took off. And um, on the way down there, I got to thinking, well, where does he want us? So, uh, if it's got something to do with Gabe, is he hurt? Do we need to go to the hospital? And... Uh, so I called Lee, our son, and asked him, uh, where are you? Do we need to go to the hospital? I said, was it a wreck? And he said, yes. 
And I said, do we need to meet you at the hospital? And he said, no, come here. Well, when he said that, I knew. Mm. And uh, so uh, when we got near to their neighborhood, I saw his wife's car and a highway patrolman, one highway patrolman and a rapper pulling one car out. And uh, so I got to their house and uh, I just, I just come out and I said, Lee, is he dead? And he said, yes. And my knees buckled. And uh, I remember crying some that night, but everybody looked like they were holding it together. We found a hotel room. I couldn't sleep. I woke up and I felt like I had a 50 pound boulder in my chest. And I got out of I got out of bed and went to the shower and I thought, this must be what it feels like to die of a broken heart. I'd never felt such heaviness in my life. I can still go back there. I can still feel it. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of family die. I've had a lot of friends die. But I've never, ever experienced anything like this. This is not supposed to happen. I'm supposed to go first. Mm. What actually happened with the wreck, if you can tell me? Uh, big warning sign, looking back. He was very calm that night. Um. And uh, he had been in his room, and his mother said he came out of his bedroom and said, Mom, I need the keys to the car. I'm going to the car to look for something. And she said, I wasn't thinking. She said, he does stuff like that all the car. She said, all the time, but she's my, my car wasn't even locked. But I didn't even think about that. So she said, I tossed him the keys, and he went outside. He said in about 10 minutes, he wasn't back in. He looked at his tracker because she had a tracker on his phone and he had turned it off. Mm -hmm. uh, so she uh, jumped in uh, her daughter's car and went to look for him. Uh, and uh, Right after she left, Lee, he said he he said I just bought a brand new flashlight. It was high powered. He said all Gail had was a flashlight on her phone. He said so I jumped in the car and I followed her. Well, at, you go out of their neighborhood and and you take a ride and it goes. It's got a couple curves, but it's pretty much straight and it goes over a hill and a railroad tracks, and you can go at a really high rate of speed. So he was, the highway patrolman said he was he was going at a high rate of speed. He went over the railroad tracks and bottomed out. Um, there was an abandoned bulldozer across the street and uh, he ran head on into that bulldozer. Uh, they said they'd never seen anything like it. He hit it so hard 
that the car flipped over the top of the bulldozer and landed on the top on the other side. Wow. Do you feel that Gabe was <clears throat> just upset and wanted to go at a high rate of speed, <clears throat> excuse me, speed, or do you feel like, I, I guess I'll just ask was, was it intentional or do you feel like he was just being reckless? At first we wanted to believe it was reckless. Uh, we tried to convince ourselves that it was reckless. Uh, we went out there and we looked for everything that we could possibly find to convince us that it was reckless. Uh, we thought we saw skid marks. And so we convinced ourselves that it was his. Uh, but after we talked to the highway patrol, they said those were old skid marks. They weren't his. They found uh, big gouges in the road where he bottomed out. And uh, they said he never slowed down. Mm -hmm. uh, that that was very intentional. That in order to have flipped over, he never took his foot off the gas. Uh, I told you he had a business, a gumball machine. Mm -hmm. We went down into the wreck site. And um, I, I can't imagine how hard he hit. There was gumballs everywhere, everywhere. Uh, everything that's, that was in the car pretty much just went all over the place. Uh, the hard part was seeing drops of blood. And this is graphic, okay? And I hope your listeners can take it. But uh, there were drops of blood on the ground. Uh, I tried my best to cover them up before they saw them. Billy's mom saw one. She said, I want that. So I just reached down, picked it up, and handed it to her. Uh, you know, and it was still wet. Uh, but um, Lee found him, my son. Uh, Gail was standing on the side of the road calling him. She thought maybe he'd been thrown out of the car or something. Uh, but he went down to the car and walked around in and reached in and uh, couldn't feel anything and then realized he was reaching in the back seat because it, the car was so crushed. Mm -hmm. He went around the other side and his arm was laying out on the ground. And uh, he picked up his arm, and his arm was limp. He said, and I knew. Uh, so he told Gail, his wife, not to come down there. And uh, they called the highway patrol and waited, waited till they got there. Uh, they left before they got him out of the car, thank goodness. Uh, 
the funeral home did an awesome job of putting him back together so we could see him before he was cremated. Hmm. You know, that is something that, uh, <clears throat> I, I wanted to do years ago for that very reason. And, and when I say years ago, I'm talking whenever I was in 10th or 11th grade in high school, I wanted to be a mortician and I wanted to do it from the artistic side. I, I was a fairly good artist back in those days. And, uh, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just didn't want to leave home at that per particular time in my life. And, uh, oddly enough, I ended up going off to the Navy later, but, um, I think that is a special and, and I'll call it an art, but it's, okay. it's one that is touching and something that, uh, does provide a measure of closure for a family. Uh, whereas I think sometimes if, if people are not able to see a body there, there's not any closure at all. You know, it's, it's really hard to allow your brain to, to know that this person's gone. Um, so I, you know, kudos to this funeral home for what it sounds like they did a, a great job. And, um, I'm sure it's not easy, uh, for them, you know, when, when there's damage done to a person's body, but I think it's very, um, I, I don't know. It's just a special thing for them to be able to provide that to a family like yours. Oh, I agree. I agree. We were so grateful because um, they had said that they had to wait till the medical examiner was finished and um, to see if they could fix him up well enough that he could be seen. Uh, the only thing that we could see visibly, you know, if, if we touched him in the right places, we could feel things, but uh, only thing we could visibly see is he's his eyes were turning black underneath. Um, but otherwise, he looked he looked just like Gabe, and it was good to see him. It was good to see him that good because I thought, dear Lord, I don't think I can take it if he's mm -hmm. torn up. Um, and um. They were very wise and did a very, very good job. We were so grateful. How how are his parents doing now? They're struggling. How long ago was this, um, Jean? When when did this happen? It was March tenth of last year. Wow. So not even a year. Not a year. Um and I think this weather, I think this weather is what's gotten to me. I, get, I made it through Christmas fine. I thought Christmas was going to be hard. But then the year turned, and it's like, this is the first year without him. And uh, it's strange. It's just, I mean, it's just, it doesn't seem real. Uh you want to go check on him, you know, and he was cremated, so there's no, 
and that was the choice of his parents, and, and I understand. But I want to go see his grave, <laughs> if that makes sense. Is there any memorial? They, they uh, put up a sign on a bench next to the favorite, his favorite park uh, in Winston-Salem, where they go. They used to go feed ducks. Mm-hmm. But we haven't been able to get there yet because it's uh, it's kind of a hike, and every time we've been back to Winston Salem, it's been raining. In your opinion, is is that uh, something that you feel important to be able to go to a place to uh, remember a person? Yes. Okay. Yes. It it is for me. Other people may be able to do without it, but for me, um, I just need to go there. Um, I still go to my parent and grandparents' graves, not not as much as I used to, but uh, I still go there because that's where they are. I, I know that's not where they are, but that's where their bodies are. Sure. Um, and um, that's the last place I saw them, even mm. though they were dead. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, me and my daughter, and my husband, and her husband have tossed around having a plaque made and putting it somewhere on our property. Just so we'll have a memorial that we can go sit down and just think about him. Mm-hmm. Um, or planting a tree in the yard and putting a bench by the tree. I don't know, something that we can go sit down and cry at, you know, <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And that's actually one of the uh, things that I, I mentioned in my grief seminars is planting a tree in someone's honor because that tree will continue to grow and, and, you know, it's a place that you can go to and a thing that you can remember, especially if, if someone is cremated and, you know, if somebody spreaded the ashes somewhere else, or, uh, if, if there's not something tangible like a headstone to go to, you've got something and, and I think something that's living is is really unique and and just a, a way to honor that person for who they were while they were here, and uh, something that that continues, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's um, that's what I'm, that's what we're leaning toward. Uh, it's planting some kind of big tree. It just keeps growing. Yeah, um, and then, then putting the bench beside it so we can go sit under it. Uh, I, I think you're keying in though that you know we all grieve differently. You know, his parents are grieving differently than you're grieving. Nobody's wrong in how they're grieving. It's just we we all have different ways that are meaningful to us and. This is just a way that's meaningful to you. And I, I think that's there's no harm in doing that at all to remember him in your own special way. 
No, I just I just need a place. I, I, my brother my brother died of cancer uh, several years ago, and uh, his his son, uh, well, no, his wife at that time uh, had his had him cremated, and uh, my mother was still alive. And she needed a place to go. Uh, so my brother and I had a little a little footstone kind of thing made and put it at the mom and daddy had already picked out their grave sites and had their stones made way in advance. So we had a little footstone made with his he owned a business, he was an electrician, uh, with his business logo and his name and his birth date and his death date. Uh, and uh put it on where they're where they're buried. We just said it ourselves. We didn't have mm-hmm. anybody's permission. We just did. We mm-hmm. just did it. Because my uh my mother needed a place to grieve. Um and so it's been it's been great to have it there because his uh, his son, my nephew, has gone on to get his electrician's license, and uh, and it was very touching that he took his license by and laid it on his daddy's stone and took a picture mm. and told his dad thank you. Uh, you know, people like me, my mother, my nephew. We just need that. Uh, I don't know why. Um, just somewhere to go. Um, somewhere permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't scattered his ashes, Gabe's. Uh, they just can't bring themselves to do it. I don't know if they ever will. So would it be would it be possible that uh, they could give you some of his ashes to put beside of a tree that you plant or anything like that? Do you think that's something they would be willing to do? I think they may be willing to give me just a little, and I'm not uh-huh. asking for much, maybe a teaspoon, you know? Sure, sure. Uh, just, just a little. Uh I think I'm going to have to let it get past the year mark um, before I would even dare ask that question. I understand. Um, But, yeah, I've thought about that. If they just give us a little, just a little. And uh, Do you feel like your son understands how much that you're grieving as well? No, I don't. Hmm. Uh, it it goes to show you that, you know, when someone uh, we love is gone, we all grieve differently. But I can't say that I grieve more or less than an individual in life. You know, uh-uh. we just grieve differently. And yeah. 
I've used the example of, you know, say siblings lose a parent. Well, they grieve differently, you know, um, but it doesn't mean that one grieves more or less than another. It's just different. It's just different. And it comes and goes, and you just never know when it's going to hit. And um, Lee kind of had a hard time over Christmas. I'm surprised that he got through Christmas okay. They they left on Christmas Day and went up to the mountains and spent a few days, so just so they wouldn't have to be at home. Mm. I was I was glad for that. What has surprised you the most? in this grief versus other things or other people that you have grieved before? This one keeps circling back. Uh, I think that I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> and, um, and I am compared to like last summer. I allow myself to cry now uh, and don't beat myself up over it. Um, but um, I guess with a teenager that you were looking forward to seeing him grow up and get married and have children and be a success, which he was going to be. Uh, when you think, when I allow myself to think of those things, it's the circling back and the pain and the rock that goes back in my chest. You know, it's it's just uh, but it, and also I've learned to allow it to happen. I just don't allow it to stay. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had to learn to condition myself against certain songs, like songs that were played at his funeral. Uh, I had to put one on replay and play it for hours <laughs> to where I could listen to it without crying. Mm. Uh, Before we hit record today, we were kind of talking about <clears throat> your faith. How much does yeah. that play a part in your your comfort today? Everything. Everything. I don't know what people do without a faith. I don't know what people do that can't grab hold of the fact that, that Jesus died for them. Or people that can grab hold for a fact that, yes, gave took a wrong turn. He he took a wrong turn. But he put, put his life in Jesus' hands. I know where he is. I know I'm going to see him again. I just can't wait, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm anxious to see him again. And I know where he is. And I know he's he's living a better life than we can possibly live. And he's so happy. And I'm jealous. <laughs> If that makes sense. It does. Uh, it does. 
Yeah, I look at the world and how hopeless it seems at times, and especially when you think about, uh, you know, some of the things that Gabe endured, you know, these people who were exploiting him and uh, using him for their gain, and and it doesn't take you long to turn on the TV or radio and just hear awful things going on, and it does make me long for something more, something better, something permanent that never fades. And as believers, that's what we have a hope for. And and by hope, I mean it is promised and guaranteed, and we have faith yeah. of that. Um, so I, I don't think that uh, being jealous of him at this point is um, is a bad thing at all because you know what is to come. Yes. And I'm excited about being there. Yeah. I always you know, say, I, you know, I, I want to keep living. Uh, I'm happy with the life mm -hmm. that I have, but I still look forward and am anxious for those days where, you know, my knees don't hurt. My back doesn't hurt. Uh, Amen. You know, <laughs> I, I can reunite with lost loved ones. Um, there's no more tears like, I can't imagine not having that that hope and guarantee that we do. I I can't either. I can't either. But uh, that's one of the things that we talked about because that's so upset Lee because he said, "Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he was saved." And I said, "Lee, you know he was. You know he was." Uh, and I said, "You gotta just think." What a great time he's having. I said, he's happier than he's ever been in his life. And uh, I said, we're the one that's miserable because we miss him so bad. But he's good. He's in a good place. You know, Gene, I, was, I grew up in a church where um, a person's last condition, I guess, overruled anything else in their life. And that's that's how I grew up. So I grew up with a lot of fear. I grew up yes. with a lot of doubt. Uh, you know, have I done enough? And yes. when you really start looking through the pages of the Bible, that is not what it requires, right? It, it requires a believing faith, accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, um, if I'm expected to get into heaven on my good works, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> the, yep. you know, the, the Bible states that none of us are good. Uh, so, exactly. you know, I do have, uh, a stronger faith and, and I have to remind myself because those, those early years that I was in that church, um, it it was it was like walking on eggshells truly and my faith is so so different than what it was and i don't believe that uh taking one's own life is an unpardonable sin in fact the bible states that is not so right not accepting Amen. jesus is the unpardonable sin exactly and uh, you know that's that's what we talked about. I said, you know, the minute, the minute that car hit that bulldozer, he was in the arms of Jesus. I said, you know, he's, 
He's never been happier than he is right now. I said, we're the ones that's miserable because we can't be with him, but we will be. Um, but yeah, I grew up kind of like that too. If I did anything wrong, you know, God was out to get me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was a hard thing to overcome. And, you know, I'm, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I'll state it again because it seems appropriate. I recall going down the road many years ago with my daughter and she said, Dad, is there anything that, that I can do where you won't love me anymore? And I paused for a second and I said, no, I, I may be disappointed with you. I may be angry with you, but I'll never stop loving you. And it literally was at that moment where I realized if I feel that way about my earthly daughter, what does God think about me? And when we look at, you know, like in Gabe's life where, you know, if he truly did take his own life, his father, his earthly father did not stop loving him. He may be upset yeah. that, that Gabe is gone and that, that he did this. And I can't imagine that our Heavenly Father would be any different, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I just, to me, um, the minute Gabe's, the minute Gabe's spirit left his body, he went straight to the arms of Jesus. And, uh, He's happier than he's ever been. And he's at peace. And it's hard for us to accept that because we have to accept the fact that he will never see him again this side of heaven. Uh, because we ache so bad just to see him one more time. But mm. uh, that's the only thing we have to hold on to. And two, that his story may help somebody else. Uh, I hope it does. I do too. That's my that is my dream. That his story will will help either some kid or some parent to pay attention to what their kids are, are looking at and don't just take their word for it because uh they really don't know. They don't know it's harmful. No. I, I think a lot of parents think that the things their kids are into, whether it's, you know, social medias or, you know, uh, different music genres or, or whatever. There's so many things that may seem benign to a parent. Um, and it, it's certainly downplayed by their children, but I'm very thankful that you've brought this story to light that, uh, it is so easy to exploit children, and I think it's a horrible thing. In fact, I, I was speaking with uh, a friend of mine, and you know, her daughter was wanting to play some video game, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, I'd be afraid to mention it on here anyway, but um, <laughs> there was some video game, but it is known that adults are pretend, pretending to be children on this video game and just exploiting children or putting them in bad positions. And, uh, 
you know, this, this mother that I was speaking with said, absolutely not. I will not let my child play this. I know what can happen. And when I hear stories like yours, where there was no good intention with these people, uh, they, they wanted to, uh, take advantage of Gabe and, you know, that, I don't know how much of that led to his decision-making that, you know, I've made a decision that I can't escape from, you know, usually when we think about suicide, that is what a thought people have is I want something to stop and I don't know any other way to stop it. And I hate for people to have no options. Exactly. I think that's where he came to that night. I think it was because he they said he was so calm when he asked the keys. And usually, you know, I've taken classes on suicide before, and that's a sign. You know, when they've made up their mind, they've made up their mind. And they're very They'll calm. They'll never let it. you know about it, right? It's uh, never. I always tell people, like, people will come into my office and they're like, I, I'll ask them. It's usually one of the first things I ask, uh, not first things, but it's, it's in that first session. I'll, I'll ask, do you have any suicidal thoughts? And if I see some squirming and then finally there, you know, I've right. had some people say, I'm afraid to tell you, you know, the thoughts I have. And I'm like, somebody who actually is willing to talk about their thoughts of suicide does not scare me like someone who pretends like there's nothing wrong or that everything's okay. So exactly. I, I feel like, um, and, and I do want to just go ahead at this point and, and say, if there's anybody listening who has thoughts of suicide, um, you know, obviously if you're at a place of being so scared that I, I will say, you know, nine one one, your local ER, 988. Not a lot of people know about 988, yes. but that's the suicide and yeah, the suicide and crisis hotline. And you can actually text to that as well. Um, there are options out there and people need to seek out those options when they feel like they have nowhere else to go. Um, and obviously seeking therapy, I, you know, obviously I'm a therapist and I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Um, if you have those thoughts, somebody, somebody does love you. Somebody yes. wants you in a better place and someone will help you through this suffering. It may not be the, it may not be your family. It may not be your friends. It could be a therapist. It could be some outside source that you're not thinking of right now, but there are always other alternatives um, you know, I've, I've always heard it stated that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I would agree yeah. for a, a, you know, in a large part that it it's obviously permanent, but, uh, you know, a lot of what we worry about are not things that will be, uh, I guess things to worry about next week, next month, next year, 
You know, I, I talk to my clients a lot, like what in your life has not worked out in one way or another up until now, right? You may have one or two things that's lingering over, but your problems today will not be your problems next week. It just, it's so rare that we keep dragging these problems. And if we do have a perpetual problem, we're not seeking the right fix for it. We need to look deeper right. into uh, how can I change this portion of life? And if we don't have the proper resources, uh, we've got to find different resources. Find them. Yes. They're out there. You there may are. have to dig, but they're out there. Yeah. Gene, I, I can't thank you enough for being here and, and just opening eyes with a very, very difficult story. Um, I, I can't imagine what it would like to be, you know, would be like to be the parent, the grandparent, the friend, the brother, uh, you know, just anyone related to this person, uh, Gabe. And, and, and I'm so thankful that you shared this story in hopes that someone will hear it and that it may change or save other lives. So I do want to give you the final words and anything that you think we may have missed, uh, feel free to, to speak. Uh, I, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. I guess if you really don't have any, if you really don't have anybody to talk to, email me. I'm bad about checking email, but I will get to it. Um, talk to me. I care. I might not know you, but believe me, I want you here. You need to be here. You're not done. You've got too much to go for. You've got too much life to live. And too many people you don't even know about that love you. Don't go anywhere. You're not finished. Gene, I, I really appreciate you. It's uh, it's probably been one of the the more difficult episodes of this podcast for me, just to hear what you've gone through and and just uh, what Gabe went through as well. And uh, I, I know it will touch lives. And and I thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And I pray it will. I really, really pray it will. Thank you again, everyone, for, for being here with Gene uh, and myself today. And uh, we just, we thank you for being a part of this podcast and, and listening to this difficult story. And again, we, we do uh, just hope that you reach out to someone if things are too tough for you and find the right resources but uh, thanks again, everyone, for being here and listening to the Grief Observed podcast. We will catch you on the next episode.